and welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. I really have enjoyed tremendously being with you. Um, want to thank those of you that are partners. Uh, things are exploding right now. I think we're seeing the beginning signs of, of, of a third great awakening, and we all are privileged to be a part of that. And so thank you for, for again, those of you that have helped. Uh, thank you for your giving. Um, what a blessing. And, and thank you for your, your openness to the scriptures and the word of God. Um, we, need to, we need to love all of God's word and we need to understand the value of scripture in our lives and, and be better prepared to speak into our culture. Uh, we're just living in challenging times, and I've shared that with you in my first hour in regards to the area of marriage and the deafening silence of the church, uh, not seeing that when we talk about marriage, we're talking about something very holy and sacred, and that a, a generation is being lost uh, because of our silence. And so thank you for enduring. Thank you for... The Bible says that sometimes you have to endure sound doctrine. Uh, most, most traveling ministers like myself, I don't want to talk on this because it's not going to draw a big crowd. We're not going to have a Jericho march. Uh, but I've enjoyed it. I'm glad I came. I needed to hear what I had to say. It was good. Amen. So, <laughs> uh, but let me encourage you in the future because I'll be done tonight. Uh, try when you hear people share on this holy institution, not to get too self-centered and caught up in your own challenges, because we all have them. Everyone married has challenges. And there's a tendency even for the ministers not to speak because we don't want to offend. Uh, we don't want to condemn. We don't want people uncomfortable. Uh, but only the truth and knowing the truth is going to set us free. Only faith is going to come when you hear the Word of God in these areas. And, and maybe you're struggling in an area, but let me tell you something. Every co-worker you work with is struggling. Your grandkids are struggling. Your children are struggling. And they're being told a lot of stuff that's going to really mess them up. And so you need, to, you need to be able to minister this to your family and friends. So thank you for, for listening. Hallelujah. And just, it's been a blessing. I wish that this wasn't it, but... This is it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this sanctified time. This has been special time. And Sue and I are so blessed. We love this pastor and his wife. And uh, Stephen Kay are such a blessing. So I thank you for the house. I, I thank you for the peace that we're able to leave on this house. Thank you for allowing us the time to be here with friends and with family. And as I share in conclusion, those that are here for the first time, give them the courage to, to, to hear clear. Uh, 
I would hope that they would go back and listen to the first two hours. Uh, things build, and I'm able to say things that I wouldn't say it as, as uh, bluntly had I not laid a foundation. So thank you, Lord, for helping me to continue to share and be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, we're sharing on the subject of holy matrimony, how that marriage is a covenant and that it is near and dear to the heart of God. It's the oldest institution known on the planet. It was created before sin. Very, very few things can be said in that context that this institution of marriage was created as God's plan for man. And there are very few exceptions. There are some. We don't have time to cover them. But there's exceptions to being single in the Bible and living a single life. But for most of us, marriage is God's plan for our lives. And so we need to know who created it. Because whoever created it gets to define it and gets to give the blueprint for it. And we as the people of God, and I realize we're living in challenging times and it may be that we're coming down more and more to a remnant that really want to hear what God has to say about anything in their lives. But there are a lot of us that really want to know what does God say versus what the world says? What does, what does God plan? And, and what is His good plan for our homes, our, our lives, our destiny, on and on we could go. And marriage is a powerful institution. It is absolutely profound in the eyes of God. And we need to understand it from a biblical perspective. And yet in most of our churches, we have a secular perspective of marriage. I dealt with contracts last night versus covenant. And now that even Christians go into marriage with the mindset of a contract. And if things don't work out, we'll just liquidate the assets and distribute them equally and we'll all go our merry way. Uh, we've, got to, we've got to recover an entire generation to the institution that God ordained again for mankind. The reason the church is responsible to speak out even in the public square in regards to marriage is marriage wasn't a gift just for the church. Marriage was a gift for mankind. God's will is that even if you're lost, that you experience marriage, that you experience a measure of covenant, that you experience a piece of heaven on earth, and yet marriage for even most Christians is not a piece of heaven on earth. Can anybody guess how much further south it is for most folk? <laughs> Amen. It's not supposed to be hell on earth. It's supposed to be a piece of heaven on earth. So we had to deal, and the reason there's so much silence in the church at large and even speakers is we had to deal with gender because it was Jesus and Moses, the two most powerful authorities in the Word of God that declared that God is the one that created us male and female. God is the creator of our gender assignment and that Jesus taught the reason God made us male and female was for the institution of marriage. So I hear even preachers say things that Jesus didn't address these things. And so I've been clear and take, taking you to the scriptures to show you Jesus did address these things. We just have quit listening to Jesus at large. All right. I want to, before I get into some, some deeper things in the purpose of marriage and why God created it, 
um, while God has assigned two genders for the purpose of marriage, uh, when it comes to computer, we're not sure what gender assignment has been given to computers yet. And, and AI is on the horizon. It'll be something else we'll have to deal with in the future that is a serious crisis ahead. But when it comes to AI, artificial intelligence, we're not sure of the gender assignment. So this is a gender test for computers. There were some adults taking a computer science course at the community college. And after a few weeks, their professor decided to have some fun with them one day. He divided the men and the women in his class and gave them each a project to take 10 minutes to determine which gender computers ought to be. After 10 minutes, both groups came back to share their discovery. The men went first and declared they voted unanimously that computers should be referred to in the female gender. The professor said, okay, share with me your reason for making this determination. They had four points. Number one, first of all, all they said, first of all, they said computers should be referred to in the feminine gender because no one but their creator understands their internal logic. <laughs> I'm not going to make it through this. <laughs> Number two, computers when speaking to each other speak in code language only they and experts can understand. <laughs> Number three, every mistake you ever make is stored on their hard drive for later retrieval. Number four, as soon as you commit to one, you end up spending half your paycheck accessorizing it. Don't laugh too hard because the women had the last word on the subject and they unanimously voted that computers must be in the masculine gender for the following reasons. Number one, first of all, in order to get their attention, you have to turn them on. <laughs> I'll keep... I'll keep this PG, I promise. <laughs> Secondly, they have a lot of data, but still can't think for themselves. <laughs> Number three, they're supposed to help you solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. <laughs> and number four, as soon as you com get committed to one, you realize if you'd have just waited a little longer, you could have gotten a better model. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, I had referred to why we shouldn't get married, and yet in my survey, in my early years of pastoring, trying to find wisdom, I was shocked at the top five reasons that mature supposedly Christians gave me to get married. Why do you get married? And I don't have time to go over all of those reasons, but that just drove me into, okay, I need clear scripture on what is the purpose of marriage. Because if you don't know the purpose of a thing, you are destined to abuse it, misuse it, and frustrate the original purpose. And so we need to understand the purpose of marriage and we need to be training our children better and discipling our children, nurturing 
our children in the admonition of the Lord and explaining to them early, this is why you get married. This is what the institution that was created by God that is called holy matrimony for a reason. And so I want to give you the top five purpose and purposes then for married. Why God instituted marriage. And I'm just going to have to highlight some of these. I've spoken of them indirectly. I'm just putting them so we can understand them and communicate them better to our children and grandchildren. So number one, for companionship. Companionship, and that's Malachi 2.14. He literally calls our wives our companion of our covenant of marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, we saw last night in verse 18 that God is the one that came up with this idea of marriage, not man. And God was the one that told Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. I will make a help meet or in some circles a help mat for you. Can I get a witness? Our wives are not help mats. That was a pitiful witness. Hallelujah. They're help meets. And a helpmeet is one of his own kind comparable to, to him. And, and we also looked at the difference between lonely and alone. Adam was not lonely. Adam was alone. And God in a perfect world, a man in a perfect sinless condition, in a perfect garden, God said it wasn't good for him to be alone. Then it can't be good for us to be alone in an imperfect world, in an imperfect body, and, and not a perfect garden. So that's number one. And one of the things I thought, and I wish I had time to teach on this, we're just, we're running out of time, but I, I had bit into the concept of how husband and wife complete one another. And I taught you how Eve, or female, was on the inside of Adam, and God took her out, built her, and then brought her back, and they became one again in the covenant of marriage. But we do not complete one another. People get married to be complete, as if they're incomplete, single, and a spouse, a man, or a woman is going to complete us. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, It pleased the Lord, it pleased God that the fullness of the Godhead would dwell in Jesus. And then it says, And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. I didn't marry Sue to be complete. No, I was complete in Christ. She was complete in Christ. We entered marriage now, and while we complemented one another and enhanced one another, nobody can complete you but Jesus. And when you look to a human being to be complete, you literally abuse that human being and that gift that God gives us. So we have companionship in marriage, and we're not alone now in life in marriage, but if you're lonely and you're getting married so you won't be lonely, you're just going to experience two lonely people. Amen. Number two, partnership. Partnership. We are partners in life. And it's sad how that 1 Peter chapter 3 says that we need to dwell together according to knowledge with an intelligent, the Amplified Bible says, an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation, honoring the wife as the weaker vessel, but knowing that we're heirs together of the grace of life. Sue and I are heirs together of this grace of life that we're living. And one of the reasons I shared with you that marriages are collapsing, even in the church, is neglect. We don't understand we're in a partnership. 
I've actually heard people say when you're trying to help young people, you know, and it looks like there could be some compatibility here. And maybe these two might be made for each other. And you'll just bring up something. And they'll say, oh, oh I could never marry him. He's, he's my best friend. You need to marry your best friend. That's what your spouse is and should be, is your partner in life, your best friend. And Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9 through 10, says that marriage is work, it's labor. And we need to be working continually on our partnership, on our friendship. Man, Sue is my first station to run to when there's an issue, when I'm struggling with something. And on and on I could go with testimonials. But partnership is a, a reason for marriage. Don't marry somebody you don't like. <laughs> Young people, listen, please. Don't marry someone you lust. Lust is real. Passion is real. And it, it helps with marriage. But you can't build a marriage on passion and lust. And you certainly need to marry somebody you like. Yeah. Amen. We do a lot of marriage counseling and <laughs> constantly... I won't even ask them, do they love each other? I have never married anybody that didn't love each other. I've never heard anybody say, no, we don't love each other. We want to get married, Pastor. Dumbest question you can ask is, do you love each other? And evidently, it isn't working out. Maybe you got to like each other. That'll hit you later. Praise God. <laughs> You've got to have some common goals and vision. That's why courting. I don't, I don't believe in the, the dating that our culture uh, engages in. It's really not dating. It's mating. But we need to court and we need to get to know one another. And we need to make sure, are we compatible? Do we like each other? Do we enjoy life together? And yet these things aren't, aren't even examined. So that's the second reason. Number three is to procreate. Malachi chapter 2 and this is amazing to me, how that we miss this in church culture. When I say procreate, obviously I'm talking about children, but Malachi didn't say that God ordained marriage and that he was just looking for children. It literally says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, that he's seeking a godly seed. Praise the Lord. Let's go back to the worship. They were shouting at worship. Hallelujah. <laughs> A godly seed. The global warming scare and con has literally paralyzed an entire generation. And I can't tell you how many young people I talk to that don't want to have kids because of how bad the world is. And AOC, at least, said we only have 12 years left she said that four years ago, and she recently said we, we only have 12 years left. She can't even do math. I'm not putting her down. I'm just simply saying these are scare tactics to disarm us of our freedom and to scare a generation out of procreating. There are literally people in power throughout the world that think the number one problem with the world is overpopulation and they have no problem. I could name names. They have no problem exterminating life in the womb in the name of good to save the planet, to save the human race, exterminating the elder, elderly, 
exterminating the handicapped, especially now in the womb, on and on it goes, all in the name of saving the planet. Saints, you cannot save or destroy this planet. You are not God. Amen. Thank you for that standing ovation. Praise the Lord. Sit back down. I'm in a hurry. Hallelujah. God is looking for a godly seed. Your children are the answer to all these issues and problems. God wants us to have kids. The Bible teaches in the book of Psalms about our quiver, Psalms 127, our quiver being full and that that's the heritage of the Lord. And that happiness, boy, I dealt with happiness just for a moment last night. Happiness is actually declared in the Word of God in having children and having your quiver full. A quiver is at least five. Some of you have one and you quiver. You need to understand... <laughs> That children are the blessing of the Lord. Children are, are a blessing. They're the inheritance. They're the heritage of the Lord in your life. God is the father of not Abraham. He's the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is a generational God. He builds generationally. Amen. I'm saying a lot, I guess, too fast maybe. But we need to have kids and we need to know that this planet is not going to end until God says it ends. And even when it ends, from a godly perspective, it's the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth. So it's not, it's not that I don't believe in global warming. Jesus is coming back and everything's going to be on fire. Hallelujah. He's going to purge the planet with His glory. Literally of all sin and death and sickness. We aren't are to have a gloom and doom as believers' attitude and ingrain that into our children? No. We need to be teaching our children that we're headed for a new heaven and a new earth. And even before then, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And that God has made you a victor, not a victim, an overcomer, not overcome, the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. And God's plan for our children, and I'm not condemning anybody, is a mom and a dad. Children need a male figure, a father figure. Fathers bring things to the home that mothers can't. I'm not condemning a single woman or mother here. God bless you. But God didn't ordain for you to have to raise those kids by yourself and have three jobs to put food on the table. His plan for all of us and now your kids is still marriage, a dad, and a mom. Moms bring things to the table that dads can't. There is not a survey on the planet that doesn't affirm that children are best raised and reared in a home with a dad and a mom with a security of a roof over their head and a security of a meal on the table. And children need order and children need structure. This was, this was new to me when, when I was a newlywed and about to become a father uh, on how important structure is to children. The world will tell you, don't, don't discipline them. Don't put any boundaries on them. Don't, don't teach consequences. Don't. That's the devil. Amen. Amen. Children want boundaries. Tr children want to know what's right and wrong, what's acceptable and unacceptable. And you need to keep teaching your children to say, yes, ma'am, and I don't care if the culture has a cardiac arrest 
that doesn't want to be called a ma'am. You call a woman, yes, ma'am, and a, a man, yes, sir, and you do it out of honor and respect. And don't let anybody change your biblical perspective of family. Family, it, I'm about to preach. I'm sorry. Family is a dad and a mom, a male and a female. It is male and female. That reflects the image and likeness of God. I taught you last night. God's not just male or just female. And he didn't create man just male and all males or just females and all females. He created man, male and female, and male and female reflect the image of God. Children need to see the image of God in the home. They don't need to be seeing perversions. They don't need to be going to libraries and seeing things that even my eyes don't need to be seeing. They need to see a dad that represents Jesus and a mom that represents the church. Children don't understand these concepts, but they understand dad loving mama and mama with a biblical understanding of submitting to dad. I'm not talking about the abuses. I'm talking about Bible submission. That is Christ and the church, and that's how they learn how to relate to Jesus now they're their husband when they get saved. There's a lot could be said about this. I got to get out of the introduction. We need to understand God is seeking a godly seed. And it literally says in Malachi 2 that this is why God made them one. He was seeking a godly seed. All right, number four. And we've got some young people in here, so I really need to be as careful as possible. But I'm trying to figure out how to speak in some code language, but they probably know more than I know anyway about sex. But the bottom line is we're sexual beings. And a part of marriage is the boundaries God has ordained for our sexuality. And, and we've lost that in the culture. And all the perversions, whether we're going to wake up or not, all the perversions in the culture is an attack on marriage. It's an assault on marriage. We live in a world that wants to have sex free of any consequences, free of any boundaries, free of any judgment, and that's not in the Bible. No matter how the culture devolves, the church has to continue to evolve in our revelation of even our sexuality. And let me just say this quickly too. Uh, one of the problems I had was the only time sex was brought up at church, it had negative judgments on it. I don't know what I'd have done if there'd have been a pastor that would have stood up and said, look, sex is good. I'd have probably freaked out if the preacher said, sex is good. Sex is fun. Uh, sex is a part of our personhood. And God has ordained that it be expressed within the boundaries of, of marriage. And it's not because he doesn't want us to have fun or, or enjoy sex, sex within marriage is healthy. It's wholesome. It produces an intimacy. Outside of the boundaries of marriage, there's a mystery tied to this issue of our sexuality that is very destructive. And so I, I wish I could have been brought up in a church that it would at least, you know, I remember our church just gasping for air when I said from the pulpit, you know, get married and get after it, hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> amen. Uh, in Genesis 2, 24, 
for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The word cleave, literally in the Hebrew, means to catch by pursuit. There's romance. Catch by pursuit. It means glued to, stuck to. Literally like two pieces of paper being glued together. They've become one. This is why God hates divorce. Listen to me. He doesn't hate divorcees. Did you hear me say that? There's life after divorce. Did you hear me say that? There's mercy, there's grace, there's God that can bring beauty out of ashes. And I've watched him do it, so I'm, I'm clear there if you're listening. He hates divorce because he loves us so much. He hates divorce because if I glue two pieces of paper together, if they cleave together, it is possible to separate them. You can't say it's impossible to separate them, but you can't separate them without defacing both of them to a measure. You, you, you damage both pieces of paper. And this is just a mystery we didn't understand for a couple of generations. And now we're, we're back on our heels in the church trying to recover marriage, trying to recover how to have a healthy, happy marriage. Because God doesn't just want you married. He wants you to have a healthy marriage and a happy marriage. And so how do we get there? Well, the third definition of cleave literally in the Hebrew says to have sex. Verse 25 says, the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. There's people in every church I've been in, they're constantly saying, we need to get back to the will of God. I agree. I can't wait to see Sue naked in a garden chasing her. That's God's will. That's his perfect will. <laughs> Look at Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews quickly. I got to get out of the introduction because I got one more purpose I have to get to. But Hebrews chapter 13, and I'm going to do my best to fly through this. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. I don't know what the nuance is in these scriptures, I don't know what the problem with our churches is. Now, we're under New Testament grace, thank you, Jesus. And we're not under the wrath of God. We're not under God's curses and punishment of that law. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that now the blessing of Abraham might come on us now through simple childlike faith. So we're not under any negative judgment from God. But to not warn the church and warn a generation that Jesus is coming back and there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of reckoning. We are not to live lives, even under New Testament grace, that are immoral and that are unholy. And God has placed a negative judgment on fornication and adultery. Fornication meaning all. It's like fornication is the word that helps you everything outside of sex in marriage, is under that category of fornication. That's adultery, that's, that's incest, that's rape, that's pornography. On and on I could go. And so he's saying that marriage is honorable in all. That, that means lost people and saved people. God honors the institution of marriage because he gave it as a gift to man. And he says, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. God sanctifies our sexuality in the covenant of marriage. 
There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's no, there's, there should be no sense of guilt like many of us have lived with. Maybe not in this church, a good church that at least ministers the word, but you'd be surprised how many churches and how many Christians they just carry because all they've heard is all this negative judgment on sex outside of marriage. So they got hang-ups about sex within marriage and, and are, are even uncomfortable in marriage. They were naked and not ashamed. And let me say this. Sex did not contribute to the fall of man. Sex before sin came into the world was pure. It was holy. It was, it was beautiful. It did not contribute to the fall of man. Listen, it suffered by the fall of man like every good gift from above. And we see the, we see the negative consequences of sex all around us and trying to protect our children, trying to protect our grandchildren, trying to protect our marriages. Pornography is just out of, out of control because of the, the Internet. It's just so easy. And a matter of fact, I was in Europe and, and pornography came onto my phone. I ran to Sue as fast as I could that I did not download this. <laughs> and, and I don't even know to this day how it got on there. I'm just saying it's everywhere and, and it's, it's consuming people's, people's lives. Look, look over at 1 Corinthians. These were some of the things God had to teach me that I wasn't taught about my sexuality. And this is powerful stuff here. Verse 15 says, do you not know? And the answer is no. Most don't know. Everywhere in the Bible where it says, do you not know? I always go, nope. Most people that go to church do not know. Because that's been my experience for over four decades of, of ministry is, don't you know this? No, we don't know this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? I guarantee you. Most Christians do not know your body is a member of Christ. And it's not in theory. It's not in theology alone. We are, and I use this word cautiously, but we are mystically, mysteriously, marvelously united to Jesus in the spirit that the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, I'll end with that, we're flesh of the man's flesh and bone of the man's bone. We literally are the wife of the Lord. I know the bride is, 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 is a concept most churches get a hold of, but we are his wife right now. I'm not waiting to die or, or be caught up in the air uh, to be with the Lord to become his bride. I'm married to Jesus right now. Flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And that's what he said. Don't you know that your bodies, not just your spirit, your bodies are members of the body of Christ. And the reason I know we don't know this, I'm talking fast, but this is the last night. But the reason I know we don't know this is the way we treat one another. When Jesus confronted Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus, he was persecuting Christians. He was imprisoning Christians. He was standing holding the coats of those that stoned the first martyr in the Bible, Stephen. And when Jesus confronted him, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He could have said and been accurate, why do you persecute my church? 
He said, now why do you persecute me? Jesus took it personal how he was treating his bride, his wife. In the day of judgment, Jesus is going to say, even to the sheep, that I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. Jesus in his earthly ministry never went to prison. He said, I was in prison and you visited me. Lord, when were you hungry? When, when were you If you've done it unto the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Do you know when you hug each other, Jesus takes that personal. When you attack one another on Facebook, sowing seeds that will reap a harvest a hundred times faster than 10 years ago, Jesus takes that personal. Man, if we had this revelation, we, would, we wouldn't say the things we say to and about each other. We would treat one another as if we were treating the Lord. Amen. That's powerful. That's why I know, no, we don't know, Lord. Help us to know. He goes on to say, Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Now, I hesitate to comment on that. That is so deep. That is so arresting. That for me to sleep with a harlot would be at some level to drag the Lord into that transgression. That's what he said. I know we don't believe it. We don't know it. But it is what he said. Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, going back to Genesis, he says shall become one flesh. Then he makes one of the largest paradoxes in Scripture. He said, don't you know when you sleep with a harlot, if you, if you have an affair and, 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 and sleep with a harlot, that, that you, you, you become one flesh with her, but he that's joined to the Lord is one spirit. I mean, how do you jump from harlot... <laughs> one spirit now with the Lord. It shows you the power of marriage. It shows you the power of, of physical love. I'll say it that way the rest of the service. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Sex. I thought I would just talk over the young people's head, but you didn't get it. Now look at verse 18. I didn't write the Bible. Thank you, Jesus. Flee sexual immorality. Flee it. Don't celebrate it. Don't enshrine it in law. Don't, don't impose it on one another. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. That is so powerful. That explains what's going on in our world, and that's what the Word of God is for, is to help us understand what in the world's going on here. As a Christian under New Testament grace, while I'm not under God's wrath, I'm not under God's punishment, I sow a bad seed and I don't repent and pray for crop failure, I get a bad harvest. Amen? Uh-oh. You do understand, Christians, if they sin, there's consequences to sin, not hell not God's punishment on you, but if you sow to your flesh, Galatians chapter 6, you will of your flesh, not of God, but you will of your flesh reap what? Corruption. So we can't just live lives independent of accountability. 
With every sin, there's a wage. There's a consequence. But see, unlike fornication, if I commit any sin out here, I can't determine where the wages come into my life. That's a mistake Christians make all the time. Okay, God loves me. I'm under grace. I'm going to do this. I know I'm not supposed to, but this is probably what will happen. <coughs> Having no idea, you are not in control of the harvest. Right. You can't predict the harvest. You can't predict where it's going to come, how it's going to come. And that's a mistake Christians make. And, and, and yet, if, if, I, if I, I went to the back earlier, uh, get my thoughts clear, uh, and, and what if there was money back there laying out? And what if I stole the money? Can I get a witness still, at least in this church, that that would be a sin? <laughs> it, 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 it's not an abuse. It's not a character flaw. It's not to be understood. It's a sin. Now, if I did that, there's consequences, but I can't predict the consequences, but there will be consequences. If Pastor Steve found out, it could be our friendship now is damaged. Uh, it could be uh, I, I, I'd never be invited back. It could be that, that uh, I lost a bunch of parts. There'd be a consequence, but I can't predict it, and I don't know where it's going to come into my life. I just know the wages of sin is still death. But see, when you commit sexual sin, the Bible just said that the wages come into your body. That when we sin outside of God's boundaries in our, our sexuality, the wages come into the body. Part of your body is your soul. I mean, I'm dealing with people. Man, we really do love people. Don't ever let the world condemn you and tell you when you're standing for holiness and you're, you're preaching purity that you're mean-spirited or you're a hate monger or you're a homophobe or you're a transphobe and all these lies from the pit of hell. Don't let anybody intimidate you with these false accusations that are weapons formed against you that shall not prosper. Because I know your heart and I know my heart. I love people. And if those that accuse me falsely only knew how many people... I've not only dealt with, but I'm dealing with that have damaged their soul, the images on the inside of them, that it is a tremendous struggle for them. Saints, there would be no, there would be no gonorrhea. There would be no herpes. There would be, you, you, you take a virgin, a, a female, a virgin male, and, and, and they get married, they can have sex 20 times a day and they're not going to get a venereal disease. They're going to get tired, but they're not going to get a ven <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that just came out. Uh, I was exaggerating. Everybody relax. I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to make a point. And there are consequences that are, that are fixing to come upon a generation that we're ill-equipped to help them even navigate through it. The way you destroy your body is through sexual perversion. The way you destroy, destroy your soul is through sexual perversion. The way you destroy a culture, a culture historically is through sexual perversion. And that's the path we're on. So we better understand this and better equip our children, explain to them, I'm not trying to keep you from having fun and enjoying sex. There's a, there's a time and a place for that, and God's ordained it within the boundaries of marriage. And here's why. 
You can, you can have an affair today and die. Amen. And I know they never talk about this when they talk about the lie of safe sex. There is no safe sex outside of marriage. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I believe I receive. Go to 1 Corinthians 7, the next chapter. Right after he said, flee fornication. In chapter 7, verse 1, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I had to spend a whole hour <laughs> in a series on what does it mean it's a good thing for a man not to touch a woman. And of course... All of us have that legalistic side of us and we want to know our own boundaries, even under grace. And it's like, well, can we hold hands, you know? And on and on it goes with the questions. And so you read something like that, you better dig it out. Uh, what does it mean it's good that a man not touch a woman? It, it's talking about, if you look it up in the, the Greek language, it means enkindle a flame. Anything that enkindles a flame in the woman you better not go there because how many of you know if the, if the woman gets enkindled, it's all over but the screaming. We wake up kindled. <laughs> it's kind of the difference between male and female. It's not my fault. A, a, a female is more like an iron. They... they they have to be plugged in. They have to be, you got to let them warm up. And then you can get after and, and do a lot of laundry. And how many of you know when you're done with it, you got to let it cool down. It's just, a, it's, it, there's exceptions, but I mean, but guys, we're like a, a light switch. Bloop, bloop. I mean, we can get motivated by wind, <laughs> radio signals. <laughs> so you have to teach your boys and you have to teach the girls early that you don't want to go and cross any boundaries that enkindle the flame. I thought I did a good job on that. Um, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That's a welfare clap, and I don't want it. <laughs> if I can't earn it. Now, look at this. This is in the Bible. I know that, I'm telling you, I've been in this for four decades, and I'm telling you, there are Christians that have gone to church their whole life that have no idea this is in the Bible. And I can tell you on two hands how many people I've met that believe what this says. Clear Scripture. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality... Let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. There's the purpose of marriage is the boundaries for our sexuality. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another you know the context. I don't have to explain it. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting or prayer 
and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you in tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What is, what is the mystery about that? Amen. We've got an entire generation of Christians that would rather that their children fornicate than marry the wrong one. They would rather they experiment. And when the Bible teaches the opposite, look down real quick to verse 8. But I say to the unmarried and the widows... It's good for them if they remain even as I am. That's single. But if they cannot exercise self-control, the King James Bible says burn with lust. Let them marry. Amen. I don't expect you to nod even to God. I get it. Most people have never heard what I just said, that it would be better to marry... If you cannot control your lust, then to fornicate. The whole culture says, no, we're going to fornicate and even live together to make sure this will work out. When God says the complete, the complete opposite. It says that your body is not your own. How many people in church today believe that a woman has a right to her own body and that's interpreted allowed to terminate a life on the inside of her? And it's done in the name of, she has a right to her own body. Well, you do have a right to your own body. You do have sovereignty over your body. And that's why you don't need to be sleeping with somebody. And now get another body on the inside of you that has a right to their body. Amen. But can you imagine the looks I get when I, I go into our churches and I say things like, look... Your body's not yours. And you can withhold love for fasting. But if Sue's going to fast, withholding intimacy, I got no problem with that. But I'm not going to let her eat till she comes off the fast or dies. Because that releases me from marriage and I can marry another now. <laughs> and she better be praying. If I see her not praying, this is over. Amen. I know. This is hard. Well, what about if she has a headache? I believe in healing. I'm going to take her to the preacher. Say, lay hands on my wife so I can lay hands on her. Hallelujah. Amen. See, I could explain it and balance it and... We don't want to understand at large what is God really saying. But again, my body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Sue. That, that's why I have four kids. She couldn't keep her hands off me. God has healed me of dyslexia. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. The fifth purpose of marriage is to reflect Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, we see this parallel between Christ and a husband being a type of Christ and the wife 
and the wife being a type of the church. He keeps going back and forth that the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. So whatever headship means, Jesus is my head. And I'm here to tell you he's not abusive, manipulative, controlling, overbearing, unloving. And neither am I as the head of my wife. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Aren't you glad you don't have to submit to everybody else's husband? There are churches that teach that, by the way, that all womankind has to submit to all mankind. And that is, that's terrible. It is not what the scriptures teach at all. But wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. He keeps giving the as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. And this is a mystery that the church has lost. That's why when I hear Christians talk about how it's wrong for me to defend the institution of marriage, I know right away they probably don't know Jesus. They probably don't know a husband is a type of Christ according to the Bible and a wife is a type of the church. That's why it's called holy matrimony. And he goes on to talk about how as husbands, verse 28, we ought to love our wives as our own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hated hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Aren't you glad that the Lord nourishes us? He cherishes us. Like I said last night, he's a hero husband. A hero husband. For we are members of his body. Here it is. Of his flesh and of his bones. Just like female was on the inside of the first man and God took her out and God brought her back and they became one in marriage as one as they were in original creation. So it is with the Lord. Just like God put Adam, we saw, into a deep sleep, Jesus was put into a deep sleep. And just like female was on the inside of Adam, we were on the inside of Jesus. That's the New Testament revelation of His amazing grace is you died when Jesus died. Why? You were in Him. You were buried when He was buried. You were raised when He was raised. You were seated when He was seated. We were as much on the inside of Jesus as female was on the inside of Adam. And just like God opened up Adam's side and took out a rib and built the woman, Jesus said prophetically, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. After his resurrection in his immortal body, his uncorruptible body, he still had his side open. When God opened up the side of Adam, like I taught you last night, he, after he took out the rib and built the woman, closed up the flesh instead thereof. But we know Jesus' side is still open because when he appeared to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there And so eight days later, he appears to Thomas, and Thomas had said, I won't believe until I put my finger in the holes of his hand and I put my hand in his side. And Jesus confronted Thomas. I love that. That means he hears what we say. Thomas, come here. And don't you be faithless. And he put his hand in his his holes in his finger, and he put his hand in his what? Side. Why? Jesus' side is still open, unlike Adam's. Why? God isn't through building his church. This is Duaneology, but I feel at his appearing and his kingdom, 
his side will probably be sewn up because it's over. The bride is complete. The church is complete. And we'll rule and reign with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. We need to understand. We, we need to understand marriage is about more than your marriage. Because if you don't, you'll always feel uncomfortable. There'll always be something said. When God's perfect picture is painted, we all fall short somewhere. Okay, I expected an amen on that. Anytime you paint God's perfect picture of anything, all of us fall short of it at some place. And even our illustrations fall short of the true glory of God. He goes on to say, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. We are as much a part of Jesus' flesh and bone as Eve was a part of Adam, flesh and bone. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This is a great mystery. Unfortunately, even in the church today, it's a great mystery. That the reason we defend marriage, the reason we pursue a healthy, happy marriage, the reason we teach each generation marriage and the... The, the purity of marriage, the power of, of marriage, the beauty of marriage is because it is like a type and a shadow of something we see that unveils something we can't see, Jesus and the church. And so it set me free to grow in my marriage and in my relationship with the Lord. When I decided I went back, I'm going to quit, but I went back and I plugged in everywhere the Bible says husband, I plugged in Jesus. And everywhere it says wife, I plugged in the church. And I can't tell you the revelation that exploded in me. And that God had been painting this picture. See, the mystery didn't start when the New Testament was written. This has been a mystery since the garden. And it was a mystery before the law. It was a mystery under the law. And it's still a mystery after the law. Remember, there are some things that happened and that God instituted before the law that remained under the law that came through the cross. Marriage is one of those things. Marriage didn't show up under the law. It was before the law, under the law, and it's still after the law. Tithing wasn't, wasn't introduced under the law. It was un introduced under Abraham and Melchizedek. So it, it was before the law. When it came under the law, with it came curses and wrath and punishment if you didn't tithe. That that's what Jesus died to deliver us from and to take away, to fulfill. But even under the New Testament now, grace, there's tithing and offerings. Murder was wrong before the law. Murder was wrong under the law. And murder is still wrong after the law. This mystery is all through the Bible. And man, you talk about growing in your relationship with the Lord. Just go back and do what I did. It, it'll just amaze you. Because a lot of things are said about husband and wives in the Old Testament especially that freak you out a little bit. I wrote a book on our union with Christ and I dealt with Christian suffering and what is called the, the cup of bitterness. And how women, that if a husband came home under the old co uh, covenant law and suspected her of being unfaithful, he could take her down to the temple and have her tested. And it was horrible what she went through. 
if she was totally innocent. She had to submit to the test. And they would take, take stuff off of the temple floor, which we know who's been walking in and out of there and what fields they've been in. That floor was nasty. And all the blood sacrifices. And scrape stuff off of the floor and put it in a cup. Mix it with holy water. And she had to drink it. And, and if she was innocent and had not had an affair, had she been faithful, she would drink it and nothing would happen to her. But if she had had an affair and was lying, she would drink it, her belly would swell. Her thigh would rot. Amen. And she would go childless. She wouldn't bear any more fruit. I mean, I'd read that stuff. And then, man, I spent, I, I try to dig. Your pastor digs better than I do theologically. He's a little more of a brainiac. I think I said that in a good way. But I mean, I would dig and dig and dig. I'd ask, ask people who do know more than I know. What in the world? Where's the reciprocal law? How many of you know God is equitable? There's a good word for young people. God is equitable. Equity is a pillar of wisdom, not this stuff we hear in our culture called equity. Equity is God's justice and fairness. And I'm looking for the husband. What about the husband? So I'm looking for what I call reciprocal law. There's got to be in here somewhere. What if the wife came home and knows he had an affair? Because men tend to have more affairs than women, at least before the Internet. That didn't go over very big. So I want to know, what about the guy? And there's no reciprocal law anywhere. And I'm going, this is unfair. And then I plugged in Christ and the church, the great mystery. How many of you know our love and faithfulness for God is tested? How many of you know Jesus' love and faithfulness to you was tested at the cross and he got an A+. His love is not on trial when you go through a trial. Your love for him is on trial. In a test, your love and faithfulness is on trial, not Jesus's. And I'm telling you, there are Christians that are belly aching, got a rotten thigh, they can't walk in the straight and narrow anymore, and they're not having kids anymore. They're not bearing fruit. Why? They haven't passed the test of life. They haven't been willing to be persecuted, afflicted, be tested, and our faith be tested. And sometimes it's our own doing and we bring things on ourselves. Can I at least get a witness for that? Amen. But many times it isn't our doing. I have suffered things I had nothing to do with. Good people, good people experience bad things in this life. And the real test of the Christian is, are we even willing to drink the cup of suffering? Jesus talked about cups of suffering and a mother of two of his disciples wanted them sitting on his right and his left. And he asked her, can you drink of the cup that I have to drink of? See, Jesus has already drank of a cup of suffering that you cannot imagine in dying for your sins. He suffered a death that has never, ever been suffered or ever will be suffered for us. And a cup of suffering... And if you think you're going to go through this life as a Christian and not have cups of suffering, you're just deceived. 
The real issue is, are you willing to drink it? If the woman said, I'm not drinking it, she was guilty by appearance. And yet many a women under the old covenant went down to that temple and drank that bitter water, that bitter cup because of even a false accusation. You'll never understand that if you don't understand the great mystery because in the natural, it doesn't make sense and it ain't fair. Can I get a witness from the females? That ain't fair. So what is God saying? The great mystery. He used Israel, his people, to paint this great mystery Man, I'd read about Hosea and God says, go marry a prostitute. That doesn't fly with my conservative righteous brain. Go marry a prostitute so that I can show Israel her fornication and committing fornication because I married Israel. And she had children after being married to him out of prostitution, and God said that would happen so he could explain to Israel their prostitution and fornication on him. Go marry Gomer. I used to feel so sorry as a teenager for Gomer. What kind of name is that for a prostitute? Gomer. That's just terrible. Amen. Y'all don't see the irony in that? Hey, I'm Gomer. Anyway, let it go. Did you know God wrote Israel a bill of divorcement in Jeremiah and in Isaiah? I remember the first time I was in a church and I said, listen, if you've had a divorce, God loves you. He's not angry with you. He's had a divorce. You'd have thought I killed the Pope. It, <laughs> it's like, how can we say we read the Bible and not know they fornicated to a point that God wrote Israel a bill of divorcement? Amen. Well, then how, how could he marry another? Because there has to be a death or you'll be called an adulteress. How many of you know the Jew died in Jesus like the Gentile died in Jesus and that released them of that marriage so they could marry another, Jesus Christ, and him crucified? You don't even know it, but you were married to your old man. You had an old man, Adam. You were married to him. And you couldn't get out of that bad marriage. It was a bad marriage. So how did you get out of that marriage? You had to die. That released you of that marriage to the sin nature in Adam so that you could be married to another Jesus Christ and be made the righteousness of God. I could go on. I won't. I won't. Thank you. Father, I thank you for blessing us. I thank you for this beautiful gift. Help us to recover it. Help us to understand it. Help us to teach our children sexual purity and that there's a judgment, a negative judgment to come on all this sexual perversion. Thank you for calling many of us out of all that perversion. Thank you that you loved us and there was grace and mercy there. And there's grace and mercy for this generation. Help us to communicate accurately. Help us to, to draw people to the beauty of what your will for their life is. And marriage is one of those perfect gifts from above. I just thank you, Father, for helping me to develop a healthy, happy marriage and helping me to help those that want one. Thank you for this church. Thank you again for Steve asking me to do this and that people came.
that we do care about our marriages. We want to do better. And we want to help a generation get back. They can find their way back, I believe, for a great awakening. And part of it will be the great mystery. And I thank you for unveiling it to us in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. I truly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.